Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you. If if we have not yet met, my name is Kyle Corcoran, and I'm the associate pastor here at the Grove. School's out. Summer is here. Ra- raise your hand if summer is your favorite season. Some? All right. I, I, I really like summer. Growing up, my, my grandpa had a boat, so I, I really enjoy boating and water skiing and, and wakeboarding, but I'm pretty, I, I'm excited for summer. I'm excited that Maker Camp is getting kicked off uh, next, or tomorrow, it's getting kicked off tomorrow. Uh, and today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Bible Doesn't Say That, where we're going to be learning about some false beliefs uh, about God and Christianity that, that have snuck their way into modern church culture. And these sayings, they sound good. They, they sound like they could be from the Bible, they, 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 but we're going to see how they're actually in direct conflict with what the Bible says and teaches. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these different sayings that the Bible doesn't say, and we're going to compare them w- with what the Bible actually does say. So this series is meant to be helpful for us. Uh, So I want to be helpful, and I want to be clear here that this series is not to condemn you or for you to walk away like feeling like dumb because you have believed one of these things. Um, But the goal here is for us to gain a clearer view of what the Bible actually does say. I like clear views. I'm a very visual, spatial person. Like, I like to be able to see things clearly. My actual, like, eye vision is, is pretty bad, so, so I wear contacts. I don't mind wearing glasses, but I can't see out the peripherals. Like, anybody, like, who, who you wear glasses, you're like, it's blurry. Like, it, it messes with me. Um, I'm one of those weird people that actually likes going to the eye doctor because I like to get a new prescription. It helps me to see clearer. Um, this visual, spatial kind of aspect uh, it goes into every aspect of my life as well. Um, like, in, in my car, like, I don't like a dirty windshield. Like, is anybody else with me here? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I like it when I, can, when I can hit the windshield wiper fluid, and I can, there's no, like, streaks on, on my visual, and I can see clearly. Hopefully this series will be like when we hit that wiper fluid and those wipers go back and forth and you're like, man, that's good. Or we get a new prescription and you're like, I can see, I can clearly see what's going on here. Clarity of this kind um, from this series has the potential to help someone who is in Christ grow in wisdom, maturity, and discernment. I, I want this for us. I want this for you, and I want this for me. And this idea of growing in wisdom and maturity and discernment comes from uh, the book of Philippians. It comes from chapter 1. It says this. It says, this is Paul praying for the Philippians. He says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So you may approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
That's my prayer for you. But if you're here and you're still trying to figure out things with Jesus, you're trying to figure out what you believe, that's okay too. We want that. We want you here. So this is for you as well. And I hope that you're able to gain a clearer view of what the Bible actually does say. Um, Here's a picture of my family. There it is. All right. So there's my my wife and I, uh, my wife Alyssa, and there's Beckett. He's four. And that's Karis. She's one and a half. And uh, Alyssa and I, we are expecting a baby girl in September. And after having two kids and, and one on the way, I've heard a couple of old wives' tales, all right? Uh, they tend to start out something like this. They, they tend to start out, well, well, you know what they say, or they, they say, well, you know what that means, and two old wives' tales stand out to me because, coincidentally, the truth applies to Alyssa and I. When Alyssa was pregnant with my son Beckett, so you can see him there, uh, she had she had pretty bad heartburn, and everyone said, "Well, you know what, you know what they say about heartburns? It means that your baby will have a full head of hair." And he did. He came out with a full, lush black hair. Um, and the baby that's in Alyssa's womb right now had a higher heart rate the first time that we went to the the doctor. And the other old wives' tale proved to be true. The one that says, "Well, you know what a high heart rate means? It means that it's a girl." But due to some past complications and some current concerns with this pregnancy, we've been going to the ultrasound doctor quite a bit. And so in curiosity, I asked the ultrasound doctor some of these questions about old wives' tales. And Alyssa is there, so it's just her and I and the ultrasound tech in the room. And she's used to me asking these sorts of questions to doctors. And uh, sometimes I'm asking serious questions. And and then the other times I'm just trying to spark up conversation and talking about anything that we can talk about. Uh, And so Alyssa didn't know when I was asking these questions about old wives' tales that it was going to be in the sermon today. Um, So I I asked her, I asked her, I said, is it true what everyone says if a mom has a lot of heartburn that it means that a baby will come out with a full head of hair? And she said, well, a mom will generally have heartburn if the baby sits higher. So then I asked, well, what about a high heart rate? And she was like, (laughs) she just kind of laughed. She kind of got where I was going with it. And she's like, no, those are old wives' tales. A baby has a higher heart rate, just like you and I would have a higher heart rate if we're moving around quite a bit. Most of us know what these are. We know them to be old wives' tales. However, old wives' tales are hard to reroute because of a belief that it could be true. Today, we're going to be talking about a saying that we believe to be true. We could believe this to be true. It's pretty common for us to say to one another, for us to say to one another during a difficult time that everything happens for a reason. Maybe you've said this before to someone. I am certain, I'm certain that I have said this to someone when they were going through a difficult season. And I've probably said something very similar And I said it because of the difficulty of the situation. And I was probably nervous. I didn't know exactly what to say, but I wanted to offer some sort of of comfort to people who were grieving or they were going through something difficult. Friends, I didn't mean 
negative by, by saying something like this. I think we all mean something, like we all mean well when we say things like this. But chances are it means something different for the each of us, depending on our perspective of life. For some of us, we think in vague terms of fate, like everything will be good if you wait long enough. For others, we, 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 connect, we connect it to God and we assume that God will jump in and fix every dumb decision that we have made. We might even say this because we want to promote God in his sovereignty and we, we give assurance that God is in charge and that he can be trusted. But if we're not careful, this, this is where this statement has the potential to cause great spiritual harm. Because the belief that God is the direct cause of everything that happens and has a specific reasoning and blessing for it is not true. It's untrue. Because not everything that happens is something that God wants to happen. And not everything that he allows is good. So I find myself in the midst of some internal crossfire going on. Part of me doesn't want to offend you. The other part of me knows that it's my desire for you to know the truth. And for, for you to move both of your feet of where you could be standing on and move on to solid ground of what the Bible actually says and potentially begin to build a better foundation, one that can actually weather the storms of life. Jesus, he speaks about this idea of building a better foundation. He, he, in general, Jesus tells stories to make a point. And here we're going to look at a short story where Jesus makes the point of what it's like if we hear God's word and, and do it, what, what the benefit of that is. And this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When I first read this, I knew absolutely nothing about having, having a good foundation for a house. I didn't know the importance of that. But I, I did know that even though I was 19, 20 years old, that what I was building my life on was not solid ground. And it was pretty evident. Like, I made a lot of really terrible decisions. But I wanted to build my life on something that had a solid foundation. And at that time, I had enough experience to know, that, to know that the storms of life will come eventually. Now it's different. Now I know that the most important thing about a house is its foundation, how, and that it needs to be a good, solid foundation. Because I know that if it's not right, that if there's something wrong, that you ought to fix not only the foundation issue, but all the other issues that come after that. It's like this domino effect. It's really, really costly. And now I know by experience that the storms of, of life do come. And they don't play nice. And they don't play fair. 
but a good, solid foundation can actually withstand the storms of life. I want all of us to build our lives on something that can withstand the storms, even the worst of storms. But in order for us to build a solid foundation that can withstand the storms of life, we need a tool. A tool to show us what is true and accurate, to, so we can clearly see how everything that happens for a reason is off. It's just, it's just off. All right, so I, I, I know a little bit about construction, but I don't know a lot about construction. My, my, the little bit that I know revolves around helping make this building happen. Um, so bear with me if, I, if it's not clear on what I'm, what I'm about to tell you about construction. So don't base your like, hey, he knows a lot. I don't, all right? I'm just making that clear. All right, so there's three terms in construction to describe what is true. So true is when the elements are set to accurate standards. There's plumb, there's level, and there's square. So plumb is when it's straight up and down. Yeah, those, there's the picture of a plumb bob. Uh, plumb is when it's straight up and down. Level is when it's flat, not flat in relation to your floor, but flat in relation to the gravitational pull. It's perpendicular, or yeah, it's, it's, um, it's flat. Square is when there's two surfaces that interact, intersect at a 90 degree angle. So tools are used like a plumb bob, like the picture that you saw, uh, or a level, or a square to help make the objects that is being worked on become true. To set, and they're, they're used to help set it to an accurate standard. So using one of these tools helps us to see what is wrong and how to correct the issue to make it true. So, for example, if you're at your house and you put a shelf on the wall and it's crooked, then you're going to use a level to help make it level or make it true. In this instance, what we're going to be talking about today is the tool that we're going to be using uh, is the Bible to show you these false things, these false sayings about God and Christianity are not true. They're not set to accurate standards. The Bible is our tool to build a life that is true. The Bible is our tool to build a life that is true. So as we dive in, we need to ask the question, where did everything, where did everything happens for a reason come from? Where did, where did it originate? Here's the tricky thing. I, this is where I think it's, a lot of it's going to be getting cleared up here. A saying like this probably originates with the misinterpretation and misquoting of what the Bible says in Romans 8.28. And so if you don't know, Romans 8.28 is a very popular passage of Scripture that's used to help people in difficult times. And then it, then it got mixed up with culture. And because everything happens for a reason, sounds so good, it sounds so right. It has this illusion of being comforting. And we believe it. And it sells. So it gets put on coffee mugs and, and, and other things, and it sticks, around, it sticks around because Christians say it to one another, like, well, you know everything happens for a reason. And we can use it in a good way, or we can use it in a bad, like a, a, to help people that are going through a difficult time, or to kind of affirm what's something else that's going well. And, and it sticks around because it, 
it sticks around like something that is true, and it never, we never check to see if it's something that the Bible actually says. And just like old wives' tales, it's difficult to untangle because it's believed to be true. If you and I were to build our life on everything happens for a reason, you are likely to miss what God has promised. You are likely to miss what God has promised. Let's check it out together. This is what Romans 8.28 says. It says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Like I said earlier, if you didn't know this, this is one of the better known passages of the Bible because it provides a deep assurance for Christians who, who, are, who are going through something difficult. It's, this is the type of truth that you need to weather the, the worst storms. This truth is a truth that assures us that even when Satan brings out the big guns and he uses his Jedi mind tricks uh, and other plans that he may have to interrupt what God is doing, this, this verse reminds us that Satan's plans do not stand a chance and that God will accomplish his redemptive purposes no matter what. As we, as we prepare to check the truth of everything happens for a reason with what the Bible says in Romans 8.28, I, I want to ask the question, who is Romans 8.28 for? Because this part is, is often overlooked. This verse is for someone who, who loves God and is called according to his purpose. So Jesus and, and the New Testament, they, they, they agree, like they unanimously agree that if we love God, then we will obey his commands. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says this, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Then John, who, who kind of wrote down what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, also wrote in 1 John, he wrote this. He wrote something very similar. He wrote, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden. If this is only for those who love and obey Jesus, then it leaves people out. It leaves out the family member or the friend who, who loves you deeply, who will bend over backwards to, to, to help you out, but has no, no interest in, in following Jesus. And even though, that, even though they're going through a really difficult and dark season of life, God doesn't make a promise like this for them, for those who have not trusted Jesus. And he doesn't make exceptions because he's just. He can't. He can't make exceptions for those who fail to buy up the invitation to follow Jesus. But God wants and longs for his people to trust him. When Jesus died on the cross, not only did he demonstrate God's love for the world, but he made it possible for us to have a right relationship with him. Listen to what Colossians 2.14 says. It says, he erased, so speaking about Jesus, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us 
and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Which means that Jesus paid the debt of our sin, a debt that we couldn't afford. I really like what, what John 3.16 says. It says, for that, that helps prove this point that God, uh, he, he wants us to trust him. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because Jesus paid our debt on the cross, God made a way for you and I to have eternal life. God has a deep, eternal love for his people. John 3 goes on. Verse 17, it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, please understand, please understand this. Jesus wants us to accept the invitation to follow him. He doesn't want to condemn us. He does want us to have eternal life. He does want the promises of Romans 8.28 for us. He wants to give us real, lasting promises, not, not wimpy promises that won't withstand the storms of life. For, for those who have trusted Jesus, this isn't an old wives' tale. Romans 8.28 isn't an old wives' tale that carelessly gets passed down. It's not something that's just warm and comforting. For the Christian whose heart and mind are wrapped up in the things of God, this is gold. This is pure gold. A promise from God, this is a promise from God that will sustain them through the dark storms of life. The beauty in the promise of Romans 8.28 is that no matter how bad things may get, God's ultimate and eternal purposes in the Christian life will not be foiled. They won't be foiled. So what, what I'm trying to help us see is that what God's word says and everything that happens for a reason are not the same. They're not the same. Everything happens for a reason has this, this tendency to kind of downplay some of the things that the Bible actually says. The Bible talks about the, the fall of humanity and everything happens for a reason downplays that. The fall of humanity is when Adam and Eve, they, they chose to go against God and his ways, and they, they chose to disobey. In our culture, we have this tendency to downplay the fall of humanity. We have this tendency to downplay our, the brokenness, our brokenness and the brokenness of the world, to pretend like it's not that big of a deal. And it causes us to blame God for when things go wrong. If we build our lives on everything happens for a reason, we, we have this tendency to blame God for when things go wrong. If we build our lives on everything happens for a reason, we blame God when, when things go wrong. The key here is, is knowing the difference between what God allows and what God causes, what God permits and what God prefers. Because of those differences, I want to show you how we tend, as people, we tend to blame God when things go wrong. I'm going to give you a whole slew of examples from my own personal life, all right? So there's a long list of them. Uh, so, as a so we tend to blame God when things go wrong as a result of our own sinful choices, our own foolish, our own foolish choices, and the consequences of living in a fallen world. Sinful choices have consequences, there's going to be consequences now, or there's going to be consequences later. 
So this past week, uh, a, a pretty good situation uh, happened um, in the process of helping uh, a group of people figure out, kind of give some insight. Maybe I could give some insight into something they may or may not uh, were, were may or may not able to see. Um, God brought some things to mind to my mind and pointed them out to me, pointed out to me some some heart issues that had been going on for years. God showed me where I stepped outside uh, the boundaries of how he wants me to operate, how he wants us to operate. Especially when it came to this particular relationship. In, in many aspects, I was very selfish in my actions and in my attitude. I was arrogant, which caused this spiral of damage. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, how these relational attitudes cause this spiral of, of bad of damage. And I was the culprit. Myself and the other party, we were able to clear up. But the consequences of my sin and the damage that it brought, they were not God's fault. God did not cause me to act in that way towards them. Because I chose to operate the way that I thought was best. I stepped outside of God's boundaries with my attitude and with my actions. When we couple the consequences of sin with the understanding that God is the direct cause of everything going on, because of statements like, everything happens for a reason, we have this tendency to be angry with God. Because things don't go as we thought they would go. They don't, they don't go as planned. Larry Osborne, he, he speaks about this, and he, what he says is helpful. He says this. Larry Osborne is a, is a pastor and, and author. He says this. He says, when we proclaim God as the direct cause of everything that happens... We unintentionally hand the enemy some powerful ammo. Ammo he will gladly use to slander God's reputation. His argument usually goes like this. If God is responsible for your mess, he's obviously not very good or not very powerful. Why waste your time following a God like that? Just as sinful choices have consequences, foolish decisions have consequences as well. There's times when we make foolish decisions. You know, like, they're not sinful. They're just dumb. Like, you didn't read the fine print. Dumb. You didn't read the instructions and you put it together wrong. You didn't check the facts. I live here, all right? Like, this, this is my world, all right? Like, I live in that, that realm. And you don't, don't raise your hand, but maybe you live here. Maybe you live there with me. Like, you just dumb decisions, I feel like I've made enough dumb decisions for all of us in here combined. See, it's not God's fault that when my family and I, we were in the middle of a job change, and we were, because of that, we were changing insurances. It, and because of procrastination and not reading the fine print with some insurance, we had made the change, but we didn't make it soon enough. And so my, my son was able to be born, but he was able to be born on one insurance, and that covered his birth. But then the next day, for the, for the next 30 days, we had to pay for everything out of pocket. Newborns go to the doctor a lot. <laughs> Was it sinful? No. Did I have to pay? Yeah. <laughs> and it hurt. 
I did something similar with my taxes one year. I, I didn't pay attention to some key details. This is nothing illegal, by, like, but I had to pay. I, I had to pay. It stunk. It was rough. And it was my fault. Was I frustrated? Yeah. But it wasn't God's fault. We've been there. These situations, like where we do something foolish, we, we, we bought a bad house, or we bought a bad car, or we made a poor financial decision, or a poor relationship decision. And beliefs like everything happens for a reason, we, we shift the blame off of ourselves and we put it onto God. And we blame God for something that is not actually our fault. Listen to what Proverbs 19 says about this. It says this, A person's own foolishness leads him astray, yet his heart rages against the Lord. A fool's heart rages against the Lord because they want to shift the blame off of themselves and put it on God. And because of a misreading of the situation, they blame him. But we can't blame him for something that's not his fault. Yet we have this tendency to do so. Then there's bad things that happen just because we live in a fallen world. And we have to deal with the consequences of, li- of living in this fallen world. It, it has consequences. The life, the life in the fallen world has consequences. This is where I think everything happens for a reason falls apart. It falls apart because when the Bible is our tool, we cannot downplay the fallen world in which we live in. We don't get a free pass from the consequences of the fall. We also don't get to live in a bubble where bad things don't happen. That doesn't work when the Bible is our tool for what is true and what is accurate. We're not exempt from the consequences of our foolish decisions or our our sinful decisions. Christians aren't offered immunity from these things. We are, however, offered eternity. The storms of life that happen in the wake of the aftermath of the fall can happen to Christians as well. My wife and I, we, we met the consequences of living in a fallen world face-to-face in 2019. I was on a mission trip uh, with the, some guy, some, a group of guys from the Grove. We were there to help um, Ridgeview Church in Fontana, California. Um, we were there to help them with sports camp. And Alyssa was at home, and she was pregnant at the time. And she stayed at home with Beckett. And I knew that she was going to have a doctor's appointment sometime during that week. And during her doctor's appointment, she called me. She, she called me to tell me that they couldn't find a heartbeat. And this was the first time in my life that sorrow brought not only tears, but physical pain. Like it felt like someone had grabbed my stomach with pliers and was trying to pull it out. Honestly, I can't remember what people said to me during that time. I don't recall a whole lot that was said. What I do remember is what people did. They, they did what the Bible said to do. 
I'm not, I don't know if they knew to do this, but this is what they did. And it was, it was, it was brilliant. They did Galatians 6 too. They, they, they carried one another's burdens. They bore this burden that we could not bear on our own. They, they did Romans 12, 15. They rejoiced with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. They cried with us. God, he did not answer my pleas for a heartbeat that day. However, he did keep the promise that if I heard his word and obeyed it, I would be building my life on a foundation that not even the strongest storms could blow over. In the brief time between then and now, God has used this miscarriage. Uh, he's used this in Alyssa's life um, to help her interact with other ladies who have had miscarriages and to deal with infertility. Primarily because we chose to be open and honest with it. People would, once we did that, people would, like they told us their story. God used this to grow compassion and empathy in me that, that wasn't there. Through the entire time, the Lord sustained us. Just because we live in the aftermath of the fall doesn't mean that he didn't walk with us. He did. And what the Bible says about uh, God never leaving us nor forsaking us proved to be true. In the wake of this tragedy, we learn that in Every season, God and his word can be trusted. I, I really like what Hebrews 13 says about this. It says, I will never leave you or abandon you. It says the same thing in Deuteronomy. It says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or afraid of, don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. God in, in his word can be trusted in every season. As I said earlier, the, the goal is for you and I to walk away with a clearer view of what the Bible actually says. The purpose of this isn't for us to become the Bible doesn't say that police. We don't, we're not going to go around bopping each other on the head with fun noodles saying, the Bible doesn't say that. If, if you say something like that, trying to make light of the situation here. So we went deep really fast. We're not going to do that. We don't want to do that. Instead, I want, you to, I want to invite you to use the Bible as your tool to show you what is true and what is accurate. So you can grow in wisdom and maturity and discernment, especially when it comes to walking with people who are grieving. Instead of saying everything happens for a reason, consider a, a different route. I, I need to consider a different route, and maybe you can consider one too. So if, if these steps are for none of you, they're, they're for me. So this Christ-like alternative to everything happens for a reason in response to grief. One of the things that you can do is rehearse God's promises. So one of God's promises is Romans 8.28. The, the chapter of Romans 8 is just stock full of God's promises. You could start there. Choose to do what Romans 12, 15 and Galatians 6 say. Help carry the burdens of others by showing up. Help with what you can help out with. 
Maybe you can help, by, help, help out by mowing their grass or doing their laundry or, or making them a meal or uh, providing a little bit of cash so they can get some food or they can get some, uh, some gas. And th- this one in particular is for me. Listen well and speak less. Don't try to make sense of the situation for them. I like what theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about loving others well. He says this. He says, this is just like straight at the heart here for me. Christians, especially ministers, so pastors, so often think they must always contribute something when they're in the company of others. So he's saying, talking. That this is one, the one service they have to render. They forget that, a listening, that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Cry or celebrate as necessary. You may need to cry with them. You may need to cry for them. If it's something worth celebrating, go get ice cream or cake. If you're given the privilege to speak in those instances, which that's usually a a very small percentage of us, Pray and speak the promises that point to the goodness of Jesus. Promises that come from the Bible. Not man-made promises that the Bible doesn't say. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you so much for the opportunity to kind of kind of figure out the difference between what it means to Thanks for the opportunity to to let us investigate your word and to see what it really does say and compare it with what it really what it actually doesn't say. Help us as a people to grow in wisdom and discernment and maturity. So that way we can make much of you in every season of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.